something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, dude. The 90s call. With Christine Taylor and David Lasher. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to our podcast, Hey Dude, the 90s Called. I am Christine Taylor. (laughs) I'm David Lasher. What's up, Christine? How are you? Hi, David. You're in a new location, I see. Are you you on vacation? Yes. We are in Colorado with my family and uh, just hiking and biking and getting healthy. (laughs) So cool. I can't yeah, see any really... mountains. I don't see anything in the background except for a, a, oh, ooh, ooh, wow. Yeah, it's so oh, beautiful here. That is um, exactly the way I picture Colorado. I've only been there a couple of times, but it that is gorgeous. Yeah, in the summer, it's a lot of fun. And most people think of it as like skiing, but the summer is so fun here. Where so are you? Cool. I'm, um, I'm, in, uh, I'm in Westchester. Just holing up in Westchester, a little bit outside of the city, um, enjoying down. some summertime, you know, nice, nice and green up here. Um, I think our guest is in the waiting room. Do you want to give a little intro? I cannot wait to talk to this guy uh, from his first movie all the way through his current work. He's the kind of actor I feel like everyone feels like they know him. You know, he's like everybody's brother yes. or friend or something. So true. All right, let's uh, let's welcome Tim Daly. Woohoo, Tim Daly! Hi, we know you. How are you, everybody? It's so good to see you, Tim. You and I only just met for the first time fairly recently. That's true. Through the beautiful Taya, Taya, a longtime friend of of mine. But um, but we just met recently at a dinner, and I can't believe you're doing this podcast. That's so <laughs> wonderful of you. Thank you. 
Oh, are you kidding? It's my distinct pleasure. Um, and, and I'm so glad that Teopatra has, uh, you know, uh, connected us. I know she's a delight and I've already, um, I've already thrown out the, the, the fishing line to see when she would like to come on. Oh yeah. Good luck for that. <laughs> oh wait, wait, she and Ben did flirting with disaster, right? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Taya, yes. Taya has a lot to talk about in the nineties as well. Um, but yes, I know she's, she's a busy lady, but, um, but she did say yes. So I will hold her to oh, it. Oh, she did. Oh gosh. <laughs> she did say yes. You must be very important, you guys. I think maybe the fact that you're doing this um, ah. might have had something to do with it. I don't know about that. But anyway. <laughs> Tim, we had your your Wings brother, Stephen Weber, last week. He was amazing. I'm so glad to hear that. And now the bar has been set very high for me. <laughs> <laughs> the back-to-back. <laughs> the Wings place. Well, I think he probably remembered a lot more about the 90s than I do. <laughs> no, but Stephen grew up with um, artistic theater parents, and, and you did as well, right? That, that must have had a an influence on you, I, I guess, right? I mean, I guess so. You know, I sometimes think that uh, I became an actor, not because it was, uh, I chose it, but it was some kind of congenital disease that was passed down. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> my siblings didn't get it, but one of mine did. Uh, yep. And we became actors, much to our chagrin. What about your parents? The pa- Your parents, I mean, half and half, they got two two in the business and then two that that yeah, went the I other mean, way the only thing i'll say about that is and i i've said this before i in full disclosure in other interviews but in my family the theater especially was like the temple right the the church the the holy chapel right. so if you were going to do theater especially you better take it seriously so in the third grade uh, when I did a play and all the other parents and grandparents was like, oh, honey, you're the best one. You're so good. I was like, all right, you upstage yourself in that first scene. And if you wait a moment before you cross to the right, you might get a laugh on the thing. I was like, notes. Three, you know, in third grade, I just want love and I'm getting criticism. Oh, sometimes the parents just can't help themselves, right? <laughs> yeah, but he was born a professional because of them, right? I mean. You knew it. You knew to take the work seriously. Yeah, I, I did know. I did know that. What I didn't know is whether or not um, I had the personality to be a professional actor. Because it's now not news to anyone that there's an inordinate amount of rejection that you have to endure in order to uh, make your living in this trade. And um, you know, I know a lot of brilliant actors that just couldn't do it. They couldn't go out there and be punched in the face again and again and again and stand up again and say, please, please punch me in the face again. <laughs> more, <laughs> more, more rejection. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I remember um, I, I was uh, doing a play in Santa Fe, New Mexico years ago, and this woman lived next door. And she told me this long story. We got to chatting about how she went to Minneapolis and there was this job and they loved her. She went back again and she was moving and packing the house. And, you know, it was all a big, happy thing. And her whole life was going to change. And she didn't get the job. And she said she was depressed for since six months. And I was like, uh, that's Tuesday for me. It's like that's <laughs> three times a week. My life is going to change and it's going to be this amazing thing. And then. Then it's over. It's over. It's over. It's pulled out dream, right from under dream you. Dream dies all the time. Yep. 
I we always had the the joke in my family that when any time I would book a non refundable ticket, and that this was this was at a time where like you know. I, I, Plane tickets, it costs, I mean, it still costs a lot, but it was like I didn't have, I didn't have a lot of work coming in. So you'd buy the non refundable plane ticket to go home to see the family. And then I would get a job that would probably not even cover the cost of the plane ticket, but I would take it anyway. And then, it, I, so then I was in, <laughs> I was out the plane ticket and then I was in the hole, but it didn't matter because it was always sort of, okay, just book a non refundable flight somewhere and then you'll get a job. However, good or bad, it's absolutely <laughs> book, book a fancy vacation, guaranteed to get yep. a job. <laughs> exactly. Always, but you, uh, I mean, I know we're we're going to talk about the '90s, but we we have to start with Diner because I know I'm you know I'm a, I'm a, I'm among millions of people who that movie meant so much to, and what a cast and what a was it? It was your first film. It was, yeah. I, I mean, what. I can't think of many first films that could be in, the, in that caliber, but I mean, what, what was it like getting that and what was the experience like? Well, first of all, is pretty much the only good movie I've ever made. Oh, was my first one. <laughs> Just a little, oh well. Um, no. <laughs> uh, secondly, it was, it was thrilling, you know, although I never in a million years imagined that I would work in film or television. I just thought I was going to be a theater kid and a theater you know, guy, be a member of some regional theater someplace, which I actually was uh, when I just shortly after I got Diner. So when Diner came out, I was doing regional theater in Providence, Rhode Island, much to the chagrin of my agents and managers, um, <laughs> because I just I just couldn't imagine. I didn't understand it. And I'm still trying to figure out how to what it is. What uh, was the trajectory there? Were you, I mean, had you been auditioning and pounding the pavement? Were you, how old were you? I was, I remember distinctly, uh, we started filming the day after I turned 25. Okay. Um, wow. And, uh, but the trajectory was, I was, you know, just going crazy in New York. I, I had a construction company, um, so that's how I fed myself. Mm-hmm. I was auditioning. Um, I was uh, putting together a rock and roll band. I was taking acting classes. I was taking singing classes. I mean, I slept like three hours a night. I was just going at it really hard. And uh, my sister Tyne actually, and this is before she was, uh, you, you know, America's Tyne Daily. Right. Had a friend named Valerie Curtin. And Valerie was married to Barry Levinson. And uh, Tyne said, what's Barry doing? He said, oh, he's getting to direct this movie about his childhood and, you know, life in, in Baltimore. Uh, and Tyne said, well, you should see my kid brother. And she said, oh, I'll tell Barry. So I got this call and I wanted to see Ellen Chenoweth, who's a, an amazing actress, uh, a casting director. Casting director, right. Casting director. And she looked at me and said, um, hmm, you're too young and that's not going to work. Oh, um, so, but I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what, go, go and read for Barry anyway. So I read for Barry and he, I think he kind of loved me. And I, was <laughs> and, and I think Ellen was shocked. Of course shocked he too. did. So, <laughs> right. so I, I went back and I read again and I went back and I read again. And I went back to read again. And then I did a screen test. Um, and, uh, and then sort of at the last second, I got the job and I was just flabbergasted. So I went down to Baltimore and hung out with a bunch of crazy guys for a couple months. And it was I know the dudes, like a cool group of dudes. I, seriously, <laughs> aside from the outsiders, 
that could be the greatest uh, cast for, you know, a beginning of a career or Barry's first film. I mean, every one of you went on to do amazing things. Were, were you aware that you guys, that there was something special going on? I mean, that cast was just phenomenal. I, I think that everyone was aware except maybe me. <laughs> I, I was clueless, man. I just didn't know what's going on. I mean, I really didn't know what to do. Like, I didn't know. Uh, I hope your audience is, is more sophisticated than I was, but I didn't know that in movies you had to go and stand on a mark. Like, like I was like, what is all this tape they're putting on the floor? Like, right, right. He's a theater kid. You stand so you're in focus. I was like, really? Oh. And I kept screwing it up. Um, but, um, you know, so I, I think that the other people who were a little more experienced than I was had a sense that this was going to be a phenomenal thing. And I was just terrified and trying to not get fired. But you know what? It's it The, the movie is very much like a play. You know, no one... I don't remember the plot of Diner, but I remember the characters and the relationships and Paul Reiser, you know, asking Gutenberg, are you going to finish that? And, you know, th those little, you know, it, it just seemed like, you know, for a first movie, for a theater guy, what a perfect, perfect first film for you. Well, it, it was sort of, although um, I am not a great improviser. And mm. I remember Kevin Bacon and I were like, we hated improvisation. <laughs> and then we'd get <laughs> with Riser and Riser would just be like snapping off all these amazing lines right. and be terrified. <laughs> yeah, don't try and keep up with the comedian. Did you have in that on that film, was there a, an extensive rehearsal process? Because like going from the theater where you just rehearse and rehearse and rehearse and rehearse, did it feel unnerving? being on a film set where you just sort of step or did you guys get a chance to sort of spend time together and and work through it a little bit prior to shooting well it, it, as i recall the rehearsal process was short but at that time baltimore maryland was i think the technical term is shithole i mean it was <laughs> <laughs> just swatched the wire we were staying in this holiday inn which was like the only game in town um you know across from the strip club and uh and there was one restaurant that we could eat at. So we were sort of forced to be together. Yeah. And it got really funny because, you know, like Gutenberg and I would be having dinner and we'd look over and we'd see like, you know, Mickey and, and Dan Stern having dinner or something. We'd, we'd, we'd send them these really frilly drinks, like send those guys a pink lady or a velvet hammer. <laughs> and then after about a week, it was like, Send them the chicken dinner. It's like they've already ordered food. Let's just just send them the chicken dinner. Just go. So it got really ridiculous. And then about halfway through the movie, they got this. Uh, I don't even know what to call it. It's a motorhome that they called the camaraderie camper. And so they stuffed all of us into this tiny motorhome. It wasn't like don't think you know luxurious you know movie star stuff. It's like a movie frat house. Exactly. And so we were stuck in there with each other. And it was really funny. Uh, I mean, there was a lot of funny stuff. People got on each other's nerves. There was a lot of bad smells. Um, but uh, <laughs> but it was definitely uh, something that I think enhanced the experience of the movie. I have to say it's that, you know, t two different the experiences on sets that I've had in my life had a similar setup like that. And the first one was Seinfeld. I came on as a guest star. And interestingly, on that show, they would not give the guest stars a dressing room until 
your tape day or until the day, you know, you started recording. And it was intentional because they wanted everyone just hanging out. They wanted everyone. And it was it was immensely more fun doing a job like that, because if I had had I mean, I would have lived in total terror. And the minute they said, OK, you're, you're free for however many minutes I would have escaped and isolated in my little dressing room, my box and been afraid right. to talk to anybody. But it was a way of having everybody. I mean, the even Jerry and the cast would hang and chat with everybody. And I just thought that is such a great way. And then the other job was when Ben did an episode of Curb Your, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Larry David also. It was, I mean, it, this was an early, like I would say, second or third season. Ben was doing a couple episodes and Larry said, is Christine available? Because it's a dinner party and I'd love to have her. So I just showed up and I had a nine month old and I was I was nursing at the time <laughs> and they had one trailer and that it, the whole cast shared. And I said, I, I as long as I can, like, bring my pump. For the, uh, you you nursed in a communal I was trailer. Nursing in, <laughs> yes. Well, literally Larry David going, is Christine in there pumping? <laughs> is Christine in there? Well, but it was it made we all bonded like instantly and you know we weren't on that show as as regulars we just kind of popped in and out but it was so much fun to do it that way it's like theater like theater life everyone's backstage together everyone's got a the whole cast bonds and and i i guess barry levinson figured that out because you guys had such reports really amazing i guess so. i gotta say that i'm one of those that i've, I've never really understood the whole trailer thing like now People that like decorate their trailers and all this stuff. So I, I, I like acting. I don't like sitting that in a in a motorhome. I, I don't well, know, you a, probably. Oh, I'm going to go act. Um, yes, but what about the in between? Did you not have actor insecurity? Like I, especially as a guest star, I was like, oh, oh, I, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of people. Um, well, being a guest star on a television show is the most terrifying job there is because yeah, right, absolutely. You're, you're entering this family and you walk in the door. Everybody's like. Oh, that's the person playing, you know, that part. Uh, <laughs> they all know each other. They all have a short like form. Like me, please. I, I'm okay. Uh, anyway. No, you're so right. So we true. Like being... the 90s, by the way. We're still in the early 80s. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. Let, I just, I want to talk about uh, your role on um, uh, David Chase's show, Almost Grown, just because I we want to get to the Sopranos after. But did you guys, did you form a friendship with him or a rapport with him that came back later in Sopranos? So, yeah, yes. What happened was um, I got a call to go in and audition for an episode of a remake of Alfred Hitchcock Presents. They took these old Alfred Hitchcock scripts because he had a serialized uh, TV show. And David had rewritten one and he was getting his first chance to direct. So I went to audition for this thing and I auditioned and I walked out and there was an assistant sitting at a desk outside. And I, I, I closed the door. I said, thanks a lot, guys. I closed the door and I turned to this assistant and I said, well, that's one job I don't have to worry about getting. And I threw the script in the trash <laughs> in and I got home and I had already gotten offered the job by the time I was like, what happened? And I said, David, I thought you hated me. And he said, yeah, it's just my face. That's just, I look, I always look like someone. <laughs> That's my relaxed face. So uh, anyway, then he talked to me about Almost Grown and we became friends. Um, and I loved that show so much. It was just way ahead of its time. 
And it was, you know, there was no, I mean, uh, streamers and, and cables that do more adventurous stuff were not around then. And it was on CBS and they were like, what is going on with this show? Um, anyway, uh, then the Sopranos, uh, came on and, uh, every year he would call me up and say, you got to be on the show. I said, great. I'm ready. He goes, I got this part for you. And it's like, eh, nah, forget it. It's not good enough. It's like, wait, 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 what is it? What is it? No, no, never mind. So eventually he wrote a part for me and it was, it was really interesting because I remember, um, the character's name was TJ Dolan. And then David remembered that my my real name is James Timothy Daly. So he remembered it wasn't Timothy James Daly. It was James Timothy. So he changed it. A new page came out to JT Dolan. And then he, then he remembered that I grew up right next to this town in New Jersey called Mawa. And he changed it from like Paramus to Mawa. Like he had remembered all this stuff about me that he sort of put in there. Um, That's anyway. incredible. Yeah. Um, but that was, you know, that was a very special show. I mean, I feel like I, I got was lucky enough to be on one of the best shows in the history of television so far. Yeah. And to have the creator, who's argu- arguably one of the greatest uh, screenwriters uh, alive, remembered you 10 years later to craft uh, a part for you. I mean, that's a, that's really unbelievable. Yeah, well, I, I would call him from time to time. and We, we were friends. And I used to say, Dave, you know, what's funny. I worked with you before you were a genius and after you were a genius. <laughs> I'm st- I still have not seen The Sopranos. I, I know, David, you know this. You This is the exact same reaction you had the last time I told you this. And Tim is giving me a very um, unapproving, disapproving you, nod. Yourself a favor. And I'm not, I mean, forget I, about I know. I, that, I think this summer, I think it's going to be the summer binge. Also, uh, The Wire. What, have you seen The Wire? I love The Wire. I love The Wire. Mother's Day is right around the corner, and in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. This is Neil Strauss 
host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Elia Connie, and this is Family Therapy. My best hopes, I guess, identify the life that I want and, and work towards it. I've never seen a man take care of my mother the way she needed to be taken care of. I get the impression that you don't feel like you've done everything right as a father. Is that true? That's true. And I'm not offended by that. Thank you for, for going through those things and thank you for overcoming them. Wow. Thank God for the limits. Every time I have like one of our sessions, our sessions be positive. It just keeps me going. I feel like my focus is redirected in a, in a different aspect of my life now. So, how'd we do today? We did good. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy. Listen now on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's go to Wings real quick because, I mean, what a beloved show. And uh, how did that come about for you? Um, it was actually a crazy story, uh, but... Um, because it was in the middle of my daughter being born and, and I was racing. Uh, I was in San Francisco playing the uh, guest psychopath on a show called, um, uh, Oh God, with Gary Cole. Not oh Street yeah. Street. Night, night, uh, night, night, uh, night, uh, night, 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 Yep. Um, anyway, um, I was racing home to see my newborn baby and my agent said, just stop in LA and just audition for this thing. So I did, I went in and I auditioned and you know, it was a, they, liked me and they flew me out and I did a, um, a screen test. And then it, with Weber who tormented me, you know, <laughs> had you known to... each other before? No, at no, all. No. You hadn't crossed paths at all. No. Uh, and then, you know, it was kind of like, you know, pretty standard audition, get part and do part. <laughs> and, and then go for 200 episodes. Well, there was pretty, that. Pretty typical. There was that. <laughs> There's that. And again, what a cast, man. Christine, that, I mean, Tony Shalhoub and uh, Thomas Hayden Church, Tim and uh, Stephen, and who, 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 what was the, the woman's name? Um, um, Crystal? Crystal. Crystal. Yeah, yeah Bernard. Let's, let's put out an APB right now for Crystal Bernard. Where is she? I mean, she was so good on that show. I, so good. So good. And I don't know where she is. I would like to see her again in the public. Yeah. But again, you end up with an all-star team ensemble. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I, I can't 
the life of me figure out how that happens, except to say that uh, we got really lucky and we yeah. had great chemistry and uh, uh, we had way too much fun. And, um, you know, it kind of worked out. It's, I mean, let's face it. It's being on a hit TV show is like winning the lottery. It's just not something that happens every day. Totally. And, mm-hmm. and I wish, uh, I, I do wish that I had appreciated it just a little bit more at the time because I think, well, it was funny because all of us were trained actors, you know, and we were stage actors and we wanted to do a lot of stuff. And the thing about a sitcom is that even if it's excellent, it does like this much of life. Like you never go out here, out here. And so somebody was always hanging by their fingernails, uh, you know, off the cliff and be like, no, Tony, you can't quit. You can't quit. You're so good. You're so funny. Weber, stop it. You're good. Mm-hmm. You're great. It's going to be okay. And then, you know, people would, so we were, all, someone was always like saying like, I'm a real actor. I can't do this sitcom crap. I got to do something, you know, where I retch and cry. And, and so we kind of had a group uh, ethos of talking to each other and bringing each other back into the fold. Had you done much comedy before it? Because we we said to Stephen, it looked like so many of the films and and projects he was doing leading up to it were these dramatic, you know, like Hamburger Hill, and we didn't even yeah. get to single white female, but these like sort of intense characters, and then came and he's so funny, and he you're so funny, and was it was comedy something that you loved doing, or is this just sort of something you fell into? I mean, I'd done it in the theater. Yeah. Um, and I'd done Diner, basically. Right. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think if there's any other comedy I had done. Um, you know, I might have done a crappy TV movie here and there before Wings, but I, I don't really remember. But um, I love comedy. I really love it. Although I will say that I am different than most people, I think, because there's always that question when you're doing something that's really heavy, which, you know, like, do you bring it home? Are you depressed all day? Does it infect your family life? And for me, it's like, uh-uh, if I get to scream and cry and retch and pound things, it's like, I come home and I feel light as a feather. I got it all out of <laughs> therapy. Right. But if I'm doing a comedy and there's a joke I know is really funny and I can't get the laugh, then... It makes me insane. Oh, yeah. Oh, I it know is. there's a laugh there. I had it on Tuesday. Why right. can't I have it on Wednesday? <laughs> and it's the true. fear of it getting cut, right? On a sitcom. Like if you yeah. if you know it's good and you're not landing it, it could be gone the next day. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but we it was really funny because we got much better on wings the lazier and more jaded we got. It was really weird because the jokes were very funny, but they had a very short shelf life. So by the, the last three or four seasons, we were like barely rehearsing. Like if something worked, you know, just in a read through, it was like, leave it. We're not even going to rehearse that again until yeah. we put it on camera. Because we know that if we dig too deep, it's like digging a hole in a well in a bucket. It just all falls out the bottom. So uh, we just gently touched it and that made it funnier. It's so true. Comedy is pass or fail. There's a laugh or there's not. And uh, there's, there's really no subjectivity to that. And also, the, the harder you try for it, the tighter you try and grip the joke, the less it works. So it, it all makes sense. But you guys did it so beautifully for seven or eight years. And Stephen had said he also, I think, not only wishes he appreciated it more, but felt 
that wings didn't get the respect of your peers that were in the same echelon at the time. You know, um, I don't know whether it's awards or whatever, but looking back on it, people loved that show and you guys were consistent for so many years. I, I totally agree. I still can't quite figure it out. I mean, um, not to diss Seinfeld, but I remember when I think Wings was you know, had been consistently in the top 10 TV shows back when they'd measured it that way. And uh, Seinfeld was like number 178 and we were number seven. <laughs> and I would turn on our show and I would see 14 advertisements for 178 and zero for number seven. I was like, wait, what? Like, what are we not? Why aren't we cool? Like, we're, you know, we, I, we wanted to be cool and we just weren't we just people loved us. So that there's, that's good. At least there's that. Yes. And, it, and I that, mean, yes. I mean, most people don't get that too. Like you said, it's, exactly. it's, it's like hitting, it's a lottery ticket, you know? Um, incredible. But that's it. That's everything in the end. If you have an audience that loves you for eight years, what what else can you ask for? Yeah, I I feel like it, being an actor is a, a service industry. Like it's my yeah. what I, what I feel about anything doesn't really matter. It's about how the audience feels. Is the audience laughing? Is the audience moved? Is their mind changed about something? Are they asking new questions? That's my job is to give them something. People. I love that show so much. I, you have to look back on it. It's an amazing success. Was it Wings set in Cape Cod? Wings was set in Nantucket. Nantucket. Oh, sorry. Okay. My bad. <laughs> From what I've heard, the douche factor on Nantucket has gotten extremely high. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say Nantucket is the island that Ben, Ann and Jerry had a had a house on Nantucket in you know Ben's teen years. That's where he... Mm -hmm. That's where he had his summer jobs and he learned how to scuba dive in the, you know, foggy Atlantic Ocean um, and loved Nantucket. And it's like it's so packed now. We I mean, we we've gotten there a few times. They they sold the family house, but we there's still, you know, Ann and Jerry are buried there. So we do go try to go once a year or if as, oh, wow. as often as we can get because it's it was their their real true love. Like they just loved Nantucket and I love it. But when you said that, it's like I'm having the images of the people with the whale belts and the pink <laughs> sweaters <laughs> over the shoulder with the loafers and the thing. And it's packed. It's a, it's packed and it's expensive. It's, yeah, it's I mean, not the Nantucket in the 70s that uh, that Ben remembers, but it's still it's it's charming. It is. I mean, it's a beautiful place. It's just, uh, you know, it seems that it seems to me that the same D bags find all the good places, and then <laughs> I was going to say they end up everywhere with the Hamptons, Martha's Vineyard, wherever. Right. You have like, to go here in Colorado. They're everywhere. They're, yeah. they're everywhere. <laughs> Who are we kidding? They're everywhere, guys. And Tim, so was this the first time you and Tyne worked together? I mean, because uh, this was America's Tyne Daily by this point. Yes. Right. Was that the first time? I'm trying to think. We've worked together a few times because uh, I did a thing on judging Amy when she was doing that. Okay. Listen, I can't. I I remember that things happen. I can't put them on a timeline. Like you said, the '90s. I have no idea what happened. Yeah, that's a <laughs> it's, it's was that three blur. weeks ago. Was that last year? I don't know. <laughs> right. Thirty years, three weeks. It's all the same. I'm the same it's way. The past. It's the past. But do yeah. you love working with your sister? 
I do. And the favorite, my favorite thing I got to do with my sister is a play that we did a few years ago called Downstairs that was written for us by a fantastic writer named Teresa Rebeck. And um, it that was an opportunity to really do some deep digging. And we played brother and sister, and I just love this play. Uh, it was a part that was extremely different for me, or at least for the people who haven't seen me in the theater. Um, and uh, we got to really bond over it. So that was great. Oh, that's so cool. So do you, are you still, is theater still a regular part of your life? Do you try to get into a show when you can or when it works? I'm play right now. Stop. Yeah. And I'm doing at this little theater in Vermont called the Dorset Theater Festival. And I'm sitting in this cottage that, um, but well, full disclosure, I have a farm I've had for 30 years. That's about half an hour away. So that, <laughs> that that's sounds where, good. That's where I rest my weary head. It's one of the most beautiful <laughs> places on the planet, but I love working here because, um, it's, uh, a lovely audience. They, and I've done two world premieres here, which is really cool. Uh, one of them went to New York. This one may or may not. We'll see. Uh, but it's a great place to just work out, you know, and it's it's not a, a long commitment. But I have tried to kick my theater habit. Can't do it. Can't do it. Love it's it. in Love the it. blood. It's yeah. there. And, and spending yeah. the summer in Vermont, not so bad. Well, it, as long as you're not flooded, as long as you're not underwater, it's awesome. I don't know if you've been reading the news, but uh, there's been a lot how, of flooding. Oh, how did you guys do up there? This particular area did fine, but other oh, people good. are so lucky. Um, uh, anyway, we're okay. But um, theater is like, you know, people always ask me, which do you like better, you know, film, television, theater? And I've always been reluctant to say which because I sort of feel like it's all the same thing, essentially, stand up and tell the truth and and see if people how people react to it. But there is something about being in a theater, and this is cliche, you're in a dark room with a bunch of strangers, and there is an energy to it that you cannot find in any other medium. Um, and there's a, a danger to it because things can go wrong. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that energy is terrible, and sometimes it's electric in how wonderful it is. So I, I like that feeling of sort of hanging off the hairy edge and seeing what's going to happen. I just love it. I mean, I love. I mean, when I started out doing theater as a kid and community theater in high my high school years, and did a little theater in LA, um, you know, in my twenties. But when we moved back to New York, it we see everything, like everything. And I just, it, like you said, it's, it, you know, and not everything is great, but there's something to being in that room when it, the lights go down and you're just, it's so raw. Um, and anything can I happen. I guess you missed the play that Tyne and I did. <laughs> I didn't see it. I, missed, I, I know didn't see everything. That I did. Well, Almost when I say that. everything, when, when did you guys do that play? Because I'm uh, really bummed we missed that. It was. Oh gosh, it was actually during the, the last season of Madam Secretary. I was doing Madam Secretary and this play. Oh so my gosh! I was so exhausted, but it was worth it. Um, so probably about four or five years ago. I'm so sorry we missed that because that does sound incredible. And yeah. we will see you in something soon because you're okay. not. You're not I, Beautifully. I, careful what you wish for. <laughs> <laughs> we'll be knocking on your door. House guests. Tim, we've got some people here. They say they know you. <laughs>
Mother's Day is right around the corner. And in true She Pivots fashion, we're highlighting moms who've dedicated their lives and their pivots to supporting mothers. The iconic Christy Turlington will join us to talk about launching Every Mother Counts after pivoting from her 90s supermodel days. And later, the co-CEOs of Baby to Baby will share how they're addressing the needs for millions of babies and moms. So tune in and subscribe to She Pivots. New episodes out every Wednesday. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, A military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I used to have so many men. How this beguiling woman in her 50s... She looked like a million bucks. ...with zero qualifications... She had a Harvard plaque. ...tricks her way past a wall of lawyers and agents. She's got all of these Maseratis and Bentleys all in the driveway. Is it like a mansion? Yes, it's a mansion. ...that this queen of the con uses to scam some of the biggest names in professional sports out of untold fortunes. About $6 million. Approximately $11 million. Nearly $10 million was all gone. Employing whatever means necessary to bleed her victims dry. She would probably have sex with one of her clients. Hide your money in your old rich man, because <laughs> she is on the prowl. Listen to Queen of the Con, Season 5, The Athlete Whisperer, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Podcasts. 
tell us about Madam Secretary. That, that had a long run as well and really amazing show. And private practice. Like you've had a lot of long yeah. running shows. Yeah, I've, I've had three pretty good uh, slices of the pie, more than my share. Three um, good lottery tickets. Yeah. And, you know, Madam Secretary, it, the thing about Madam Secretary is, number one, I met Taya. And that, you know, that's like the most important thing. Yeah. But um, I will say, and I hope that some people on the crew of that show hear this. It was the best group of people I've ever worked with. I mean, wow! Every, every, I would have dinner with any person on that crew. They were smart and compassionate and funny and sometimes like so smart that it was mind blowing. Like, you're a dolly grip? Like, how do you like what? You sure you're not a PhD scientist? I mean, it was, um, but, but, uh, it was as cliche as it sounds. It really was like a family and it was not dysfunctional. It was a good family. That's so awesome. I remember seeing, I did an episode of elementary that, which was Mm -hmm. like in the stages next to you guys. Yes, exactly. And I remember thinking like, should I go over and find Tay? Like I hadn't seen Tay in years, but I remember thinking, I'm not a crazy, I'm not a stalker person, but I thought of you guys. We had an amazing time. And, you know, it's kind of weird because, I mean, I think we now have the longest set romance in history. (laughs) (laughs) Because it's lasted way beyond the set. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, we're actually, showmances, the showmances, right? Yeah, actually, better off the set than we were on. Everybody was rolling their eyes and thinking, "Oh, this will never last. This is going to be <laughs> never was." Oh, that's so cool! That is so cool. Our son just did a just did a play uh, at in high school, and he started telling the tales of all of the the hookups. <laughs> and I and I said, yes, yeah, it's the classic showmance, the showmances, and showmance. most of them won't last. I, you know, it was, uh, but he he as sort of like a newbie was witnessing it with the older kids and was sort of like, oh, can you believe? And guess who ended up? Could you have ever imagined? <laughs> um, so uh, yeah, that's so. Fun. Tim, are any of yeah. your kids in, interested in 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 entertainment? Yeah, my son is an actor. Um, he's a really. Oh, really? He's a really wonderful actor. His name is Sam, Sam Daly. And we actually did a really ridiculous and stupid uh, web series together that we very cleverly called The Daily Show, spelled D-A-L-Y. And we had an inordinate amount of fun. We actually put out one just before the writer's strike that was about the writer's strike that um, I think got a lot of play uh, because a lot of the the writers really appreciated it. Oh, and we have to check that out. Yeah, you should check it out. It's fun. Is it a YouTube thing or just a just a yeah, yeah, YouTube thing? Got yeah, it. That Daily Show TV, I think it's called. And how is working with your son? Just so fun? Did you love it? Were you were you like your parents? Uh, no, uh well, <laughs> not no, not as not, not not as much. Um, right. But I love working with my son. I would yeah. love. I I you know would I've developed. Uh, a movie to do with him that, you know, we can't get financed because who can get a movie financed? Right. Um, you know, <laughs> but, uh, but uh, I, I, I'm dying to work with him again um, because he's really good. And he has that thing that I love about uh, comedy comedians. Um, and I'm not sure that I think it's a little out of style right now, but 
I love people who, when they do comedy, they don't wink at you. They just have this kind of innocent belief in whatever right. it is, no matter how ridiculous it is. And Sam has that. He's just, he's all in. Um, and, you know, if you see The Daily Show, you see some of the ridiculous scenarios we, we cooked up. And Sam doesn't, you know, he doesn't uh, try too hard to put spin on the ball. He just plays it for real. And it's hilarious. Oh, did he great. did he write that? Did he did he write who wrote the episode? No, well, it was technically written by our friend Ben Shelton, um, but and also directed by him. But uh, we improvised so much that it's hard to really tell who wrote what. But he he sort of made a right. form, and then we worked within that. So, but do I love you that. feel yeah. like you you got to be a better improviser since Diner, or did Diner <laughs> teach yourself. you? Did Diner teach you? Diner didn't teach me so much. I got to be a better improviser. I got to be better. Um, it still makes me nervous. Same. Uh, but um, uh, I think, well, you know, Diner probably intimidated me because improvising with comedians, if you're not a comedian, is not good for your mental or physical or spiritual health. <laughs> <laughs> it just crush your soul so fast because they're so freaking funny. And so it's like playing tennis with Roger like, Federer. Right. Let's crawl into a hole. <laughs> I, I try. I try. I'm not good enough. <laughs> exactly. Um, but I remember, I remember one of the first things I improvised was on David Chase's show, actually. And I can't remember how this came about, but you know, I played this character who was uh, passionate about rock and roll music. And it was it was a, an amazing part for me because I got to play three different ages. I got to play 18, 25 and 40. So it was all hair and makeup and time periods and all that stuff. And in the 18 year old period, um, I don't know, I was writing an article, the news student newspaper or something. And the the the, the thing that I improvised, I was talking to someone and I said, so are they really the Rolling Stones or is it all just an act? And David <laughs> thought that was the funniest thing. He just played him. I don't know why. I don't know where it came from in my mind, but um, that was my first good improvisational line. Oh, God, it feels good when you yeah. when you get the person who yeah. who created it and wrote it to laugh, mm -hmm. to think like, oh, I didn't think of that. <laughs> he, he laughed so hard he he created a part for tim <laughs> i i just got to go back to that I, christine i know you haven't seen the show but tim you played uh, a screenwriter who was uh had addictions and gambling and uh, you know many vices and you get in, in entwined with these mobsters and and your character is so bold about it like you think you're going to charm your way out with these guys and we talked about being a guest star and walking into a set but you walk into you know this the greatest show on earth. I mean, can you tell us a little about what it was like entering that world? Well, um, it was interesting because uh, the, the cast was obviously brilliant, but um, you couldn't really tell. Well, that, like, you know, I worked mostly with Michael Imperioli. Yeah. And, you know, Michael talks like this is a New York guy, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> like really erudite. He's into design and art. He's a really well-educated, you know, guy. And he's playing this mobster. And then you have other guys who are like, they're like mobsters. They're like, <laughs> they're like <laughs> real mobsters. So, so you couldn't really tell like who, like which one of these guys is a mobster, which was an actor. <laughs> it's an actor. 
I and, love it. Um, but they were they were very sweet to me, and uh, and it's, it's interesting. I got to know um, Jimmy Gandolfini a little bit, um, and it, it was interesting because he was such a sweet guy underneath, and he was very conflicted, I think, about that part because he was getting. That, that thing that happens sometimes where he was getting all this recognition and adulation for playing a sadistic, homophobic, uh, misogynistic, murdering, you know, the sociopath. And we're right, like, but yeah, lovable, go, but Tony, go Tony. And he was like, I know this, you're supposed to hate this guy. This guy is not, you know, fun. And then I saw him uh, in this play uh, called the gods of carnage a few years later after, after the Sopranos was open. And I went with my daughter and we went backstage and I just thought I'd say, Hey, Jimmy, how are you? Cause he was kind of, he was dark on the set of the Sopranos. And um, we went in and he was, I've ne- I, it was like a different person. He was so light and happy and he just wanted to talk. And I, I thought we're bothering. I was like, we're bothering you. He's like, no, no. I was like, an hour and 15 minutes later, I'm looking at my watch like, Jimmy, get, get out of here. You know, but it, it was just great to see him so effusive and relaxed. Um, and, uh, you know, may he rest in peace. It's a big loss. Yeah. That's the beauty of that show. When you can create a character that's a killer and all those things you said and you still love him, that's great writing. Yeah. I think. But yeah, you were well, so good on that show. Well, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, David is, I mean, he's he's brilliant. He's able to make things that are dark and complicated, uh, also funny and simple <laughs> at the same time. I don't know how he does it, but he does. Yeah, Christine, you got you got to start it. I know. Well, I, 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 I gather there's some murdering in the show. I know that. That's a joke. Just a little. No, I we re- we've been really wanting to do it, and it's that thing that when you're in, it gets it feels overwhelming to start a show that also that you've heard so much about and know a lot about right. the, how it ended, all of those things. But I don't think it matters. It's just needing to. Uh, I did that with Game of Thrones. I hadn't. I I I put it off, and then like when the last season was starting, I said, oh. I'll try watching Game of Thrones. And I think I caught up before the dance. Like I binged oh. it in a way that I devoured it. And I, so I, I know how to, I know how to binge. I know how I to binge gonna, watch. I was going to say, once you start the Sopranos, don't make any plans for like the next three days. Should we watch another three. one? Should we watch three. another one? And right. I always love when your streaming device judges you and says, are you still watching? Because it just assumes that you had fallen asleep, <laughs> but, but you're just still, you're just letting it play through for five hours. Listen, we, this is off the subject, but can we just talk about machines that judge you? I, I have a toothbrush, <laughs> an electric toothbrush. <laughs> and if if I brush my teeth for two minutes, I turn the toothbrush off and it smiles at me. Sometimes it has like little stars inside. And if I don't brush my teeth for two minutes, it looks at me like, mm, no, no, it doesn't. It does. Like not it so good. Oh, my God. <laughs> I'm doing my Seriously. best. Judge me. I did a minute and 48 seconds. So I missed 12 seconds. But they speak to you like you're a child, right? Corporate America makes products like as if we're still five years old. Right. Um, Tim, thank you so much for talking to us. Taking time out of rehearsal for for going indoors. Yeah. Good luck with the play. Thank you so much. Um, It's great to see you both. And uh, 
Christina, I hope we get to hang out in New York or someplace else sometime. Yes, and, and we might just find you. Yes, we, we might just. It's a beautiful, it's this town in Vermont is, I mean, you could make old movies about Vermont here. It's just pristine and gorgeous. There's the Dorset Inn and a place called the Barrows House that are these lovely, anyway, come on up. Oh, I love it. Just like I said, be careful what you wish for. Okay, no, 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 we will find you. Dress, dressing room door. Someone's here, Tim. For and we expect an hour and fifteen minutes after the show. Just like James Gandolfini. Oh, thank you so much, my dear. Well, it was so you, great Tim. to see you. David, enjoy your vacation. All right, thanks, man. Have a All great right. summer. Take care. Bye. What a cool guy, right? He is so cool. And I like I said, I, I really only just met him. And but as you talked about, you know, when we were, you know, introducing him that he's just somebody that you feel like you've known for so long because he's been in right. so many things. And he really downplayed his, you know, resume. I mean, just just sort of he's just been been doing this nonstop. We didn't even get into what which I saw in the notes was that he he was acting as a child. Also, he was in movies yeah. as like a 10 year old and um and yeah i think uh you know just a cool dude and i love you know i love the people that start in the theater that they just can't right. they stay true to the theater and yeah he keeps a, fa- a farmhouse in vermont you know like yes. that that stuff keeps you grounded and it's no yeah. wonder He's just so chill and obviously hasn't changed. There's no ego to him. He's just so, so relaxed. I love it. Love it. I want to watch that thing he did with his son, The Daily Show on YouTube. Yeah. Uh, So interesting. You know, like, you know, as you know, when when your child is interested in it, like, how can you help? Like, it's going out and just going and creating a show, putting it up on YouTube. I, I think that's so cool. So fun. I I was laughing thinking about when he said that they just got, you know, it's I found that even my kid, we still have video home videos and things that when my kids would want to make a movie and they would put want to put Ben in it and Ben's commitment just for fun. Like this was not them making movies to, you know, to put out to the world. It was just like a fun, like a couple kids having a play date, but that they would literally give Ben scripts and Ben would memorize it and Oh my God. We would, you know, everyone would dress up. And it's just like, I, I, there's something, that's why I said, do you love doing it? Cause I just, there was something about, you know, I think Ben remembers doing it with his family. And it's, right. you know, when it's in the bloodline and you have kids that love to do it, doing it together and him getting to do it with his sister, you know, per, you know, get to act with uh, Tyne because she's so wonderful too. Um, yeah. Yeah. What a, he's such an interesting guy. And, um, and I really feel like this was like, the second time we've had a guest where all most of what you guys talked about was how The Sopranos is the best show of all time. Uh, so you, that's like number two. And I feel like it's time. It's time. I'm going to just do it. And I, uh, I'm i not resisting it. It's just a little bit overwhelming thinking of what I'm going into. But I am ready. I'm ready. You I'm going to buckle up. I promise you, you will not regret it. You will thank everybody that Pushed and you towards you'll feel jealous, right? Because people who haven't, oh, I'm so, yeah, I, I <laughs> everyone's wish like, I I'm so jealous I, you're yeah. just starting it. Yes. I get, I get to erase my memory and rewatch all of them. I'll, I'll um, update you as, as we uh, dig in, but um, right. this was great. And enjoy your, your, your time in the mountains. Get out Thank there, you. get on a hike right now. Awesome. And uh, yeah, enjoy your summer. And uh, well, I think we have, yeah, 
we'll have a great guest next week. Yeah, um, we're still we're still recording. It's summer, but yeah. we're still recording. We've got. Uh, I think I will be in a different location next week. TBD. But um, what I will I will have a laptop. I will be logging in. That's honestly that's, <laughs> that's all you need. All a need. laptop and a headphone. That's it. <laughs> Um, all right, everybody. Thank you for joining us. Thank and, you for um, listening, everyone. We'll uh, be back next week. All right. Bye. Have a great week. Bye. Bye, Christine. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and give us five stars. And please follow us on Instagram at Hey Dude, the 90s called. See you next time. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Elevation with Stephen Furtick podcast was created with you in mind. This is a podcast for those feeling discouraged or needing guidance from God. Together in this podcast, we'll dive deep into scripture, uncover the powerful truths that will help you rise above your limitations and embrace your full potential. We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.